0: Uh... <laughs>
1: And welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and
0: creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. Now, we were both uh, we were
1: both just commenting uh, before coming on air um, that the the energy is really high, in our respective rooms right now, like we're both just kind of full of a certain joie de vie. like uh, we're just brimming with energy, and we're going to try and rein that in a bit. We don't want this episode to get too too exuberant. Yes, I am full of energy. Well, you're also you're also mostly full of cake. Yes, as, as we I understood, have just had cake. I'm quite jealous, actually, of, of your cake situation. I,
0: I think my life would be improved
1: massively by some cake right now.
0: You, you can always bake cake, John. You could just go make a cake. Not right now. We're, we're you know, the hell of a way yeah, to the podcast. Just hold on, I'm going to go bake a cake.
1: Yeah, this is a JLA cask. It isn't the bread cask, which is prob- probably a thing.
0: I'm, I'm pretty sure.
1: I should also, as a kind of uh, a warning, I was hoping I could record this episode with the window shut. However, the sun has just come out. It's gotten incredibly warm right here. So I've we're open to nature. So if you hear like any crows or power tools that that's just that's just reality you know what if leading in what if i hear like a hippo to be fair i think i think we we'd all have a bigger a bigger <laughs> find on our hands on our hands <laughs> i mean how frankly yeah if, if we discovered a hippo outside my house i would i would vote for a dramatic change in the overall theme and branding of this podcast because my god there's something to talk about so pj we're we're deep in the paint we're deep in we're deep into american dreams and i feel a moment we've each been waiting for
0: yeah um we've we're at the point now where we've we've got a league it includes uh the greatest version of superman of all time Agreed, agreed. Um, Which, sidebar, uh, yesterday when scrolling through Twitter, someone had drawn a picture of, they said, like, this is Superman, the greatest superhero of all time, and they'd have drawn every costume. And they hadn't because there was no energy Superman to be seen. It was just golden age and, and then all the slight variations on the normal costume, then long-haired 90s, and then it just went straight into New 52 Superman. And I'm like, well, you've missed a big step in between these two. How,
1: how can you even call yourself an artist if you haven't drawn electric blue superman right yeah now i mean now pj i consider us both to be very very knowledgeable respected you know well-informed people and if an artist showed me their portfolio and it didn't have a picture of electric blue superman in it i would i would throw it back in their face yeah
0: what's the point in having a portfolio without that image in it (laughs) and i'd be right to do so i don't think I,
1: i don't think any court in the land would convict me no no PJ, However, I would like to pick your brains very quickly. Go for it. Now you are the font of all of all knowledge. Oh, uh, I'm going to let myself down badly, aren't I? Now That's... Okay. Okay. So electric blue Superman. Yeah. We, looks great. He's Superman. He's got weird energy powers. It's wonderful. How does he relate to Superman Red and Superman Blue? <laughs>
0: and the millennium giants okay right um it actually goes back to a silver age story superman red and superman blue where superman was split into two beings and one it was just his normal costume but one was all blue so even even the pants were blue and the cape was blue and then one was all red uh so red cape and pants but then just red suit as well um, I can't remember how that story resolves itself. They're either they merged <laughs> back into one being at the end of it, but that was the whole basis for that one one issue, one story done in one issue, was the whole basis for Superman Red and Blue then reappearing during the Electric Superman run. Now, I want to say, oh, who was it? Might have been Brainiac um probably that's like a safe bet splits energy superman into two one of which is blue and one of which is red something that's never reflected in jla because it was it so it was a few months that they were running around as two different supermen wait so is okay this is gonna sound really really stupid so is the electric
1: blue superman we know and love right now in the pages of jla is he one half of Superman. Is there a red Superman running around
0: out there? Uh, I'm not 100% sure on the timelines, but I don't think so yet. Um, when Superman first becomes an energy being, he is just the blue version.
1: Oh, okay. Oh,
0: interesting. Um, right. When they then split him in two, there's a blue one and a red one. So it's the exact same costume as, as Electric Superman, but everything that's blue is red. And does he still have electric blue power like does he have still have the energy power still exactly the same powers it's just red energy instead of blue i think the um their personalities are slightly different so you know the way they always do in these things red is the more fiery temperamental slightly angrier version blue is the calmer more thoughtful more rational one um now i haven't actually read the millennium giants storyline i'm aware that it's something that happened in like 98 i want to say all I know about it is isn't that the event in which
1: Superman you see I thought that was when Superman uh, expended all his energy powers and reverted back to regular Superman I
0: believe that is the case Um, I believe Red and Blue emerged back into one being and then a huge blast of energy of some kind He, he basically expends every bit of excess energy and he is the normal Superman we all know and love but not quite as much
1: the thing is, if this is what really weirds me out, because if because my understanding for the longest time was Superman is Superman. We love him. There's a weird event. Something happens to him. It turns him into electric blue Superman, Uh, you know, and he's got energy powers. Great. And then eventually he turns back. Now, if you then turned around and said, aha, but there's more to it. In that event, when Superman was turned into Electric Blue Superman, he was actually, although you never would have guessed it, he was actually split into two beings. And unknown to everyone, like Electric Red Superman had been, I don't know, blasted to the other side of the planet. Or something stupid like that. Like as if the split had already happened, we just weren't aware of it. I'd be like, okay, that's really cool. But what you're saying is, Superman became Electric Blue Superman. Yeah. And then he was further split into two beings. Yeah. Okay, so then the red Superman came out of electric blue Superman.
0: Yeah, it's... I don't... The Superman comics at the time, when Superman was this version of the character... I don't really rate that highly. I don't think they were very, that great. Um, mm. I think the most interesting stuff that's done with Electric Superman is done by Grant Morrison in the pages of JLA, um, and it's JLA that is the reason I love that version of the character, not Superman's own books. Interesting, interesting.
1: Because I always, I always really, really, really enjoyed this this period of JLA mm. I, for reasons we've we've touched upon and, and we will explore, of course, but. I loved this version of Superman. I loved everything he did with his powers, both in this book, in um, in Rock of Ages. Like it's just wonderful. Yeah, and but it's interesting
0: I, to know that may have been the best of it. I don't, I don't remember anything he does in his own book being anywhere near as interesting as as the stuff he does in JLA. In particular, something where we're not going to cover this episode, but the next episode is just one of the all time great, <laughs> not even a great electric Superman moments. It's one of the all time great Superman moments. Yeah, no, and I, I, of course, I know exactly what you're talking about, and hopefully some of our readers do.
1: And if you don't, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and it's inter- It's so weird to me to think that like so many of these iconic Superman moments have come from have come from Grant Morrison mm. and have come from a series which isn't just about Superman. It's very much an, an ensemble piece. But yeah, even when he even when he's electric blue, even when he looks that way, he's still you know, there's some. That's why Superman matters. It's why there's more to him than just strong guy, or even just energy guy. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's mythic. It's so good. Sorry, I'm just I'm drooling over things we haven't yet spoken about. But, uh, um, but yeah, we are uh, as we discussed in our previous episode, we are working our way through Volume Two of uh, JLA, uh, which is a slimline volume. There's only five stories in it. We've had a standalone story, which is the Woman of Tomorrow. And now we've got two two two-parters, which, again, like our Scandalone story, is a slightly unusual format for um, uh, superhero comics, certainly nowadays. It is,
0: but it's something JLA returns to. I I recall there's there's quite a few two-part stories as we go through. Certainly in um, Strength in Numbers, there's a few two-part stories in there. I believe there's one in Justice for All as well, maybe. Um,
1: Yeah, you're right, actually, yeah. Yeah. It's a good balance, actually. I like... The more the more we revisit this series, the more I realise that, like... I guess, I don't know. You think of, like, your favourite run on a superhero comic. Like, I was a big... I think you are as well. Um, big fan of, like, the uh, Kurt Busiek, George Perez oh, yeah. run on Avengers. And how, of course, when you reboot a series, you've always got to start on a big event. You know, there's always, like, a big multi-part story. And then, of course... It, it's not just the stories you're telling. It's settling into a, a rhythm of like long-form storytelling. And I find that kind of fascinating when it's episodic. Yeah. Because you're like, well, there's a background plot, which we're going to return to some episodes, and we've got to do a standalone story. And I, I love the, the kind of ebb and flow of that, how, oh, this is just a fun little vignette, but now here, this is something with the bigger mystery, or now here's something a bit more in-depth. I, I, yeah, I kind of imagine that's how a superhero's life would be.
0: Yeah, well, what we're also going to find as well, of course, the, this two-part story and the next two-part story—they are connected. There's there's an event very much that happens in this oh, two-part course, story yeah. that leads into, and it's sort of threaded throughout that leads into the next two-part story. And of course, they're both linked by, in both cases, they're introducing a new character uh, to JLA.
1: Yeah, and I get, I I think that's also like a little hallmark of running a being a being a showrunner if you will on a superhero title it's always like who's going to be your cat who's going to be your team who you're going to bring from the past you know who you're going to introduce it's like everyone gets a new character everyone gets to like breathe some life into an old one yeah everyone gets like a fan favorite you know it's, it's why i love the avengers it was always like um always shuffling the, the roster hmm.
0: about who, who you get to enjoy it's so good, and yeah, I think the one we're going to meet in this issue is, is a very interesting character, uh, indeed. It's it's very unusual character for a superhero book, I think. Um, but we'll get to that in uh, in a few pages' time, I guess.
1: Well, should we should we dive into it, PJ? Let's do it. Okay, so um, our our story opens, uh, our rich narrative opens in uh, the city of Los Angeles, I believe and there are two nurses in a hospital room and there is a man with incredibly long hair uh, kind of slumped over in a hospital bed and uh, yeah the the two nurses are apparently just bored out of their
0: brains Uh, one of them is wearing a name tag that shows she is nurse ratchet oh hang on hang on i get that yeah
1: why do I get that, PJ? Oh, wait. I know that.
0: One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, one of the greatest films of all time.
1: There, there we go. Yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest now. I haven't seen it. What? I am, yeah, I know. I'm so uncultured, PJ. I don't know anything. Look at me. I'm talking about comics.
0: <laughs> well, so am I. But I I've know. still
1: seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest.
0: <laughs> yeah, but PJ, you're a Renaissance man.
1: <laughs> We've established this. You know it all. I, I, I know nothing. I'm a country, a simple country boy. Um, but yeah, no, okay. I get, I do get that reference. I've heard of Nurse Ratchet, and as they are both uh, kind of just bored and looking out the window, and they see a, a shooting star. Um, we're also getting um, some kind of like uh, captions, kind of like a not quite, nar- I guess, like narration, like a kind of just omniscient, omniscient voice kind of talking.
0: Yeah, and it, but it's not, it's not you know, This is what's happening. It's it's very, it's almost. Sandman-esque
1: mm, mm-hmm. it
0: feels very Neil Gaiman uh, these captions
1: and I have to say like the stuff they're talking about I have always like, I cannot stress enough how much this story struck a chord with me mm-hmm. when I read it the first time around but basically mundane conversation and then in the captions have you ever wondered exactly where hell can be found it's not under the ground it's not in a cave or a dungeon somewhere Hell's in the angles. It's all around us, everywhere. All it takes is a way of thinking, a way of looking. I was like, yes, I'm in. I'm already sold.
0: Yeah, and and as the captions are going, the the shot sort of zooms in on a a vase of flowers next to the, the coma patient's bed. And it zooms into the flowers, and sort of in the flowers, then, are two little demonic forms. Um... And that's the moment I think when I first read this book where I was like, whoa, this is <laughs> this is weird, but it's so cool.
1: Yeah, and and yeah, we see there is like a tiny little scene unfolding in Among the Roses, and we have some demons just hanging out. And now, PJ, are these fellows called the Ancient Ones? Is that their official name?
0: Uh, I'm not 100% sure to be honest this is the only story I've read that I remember that has these these guys in it Um, I know one of them is Wrath and one is Abnegazar
1: yeah Gask Wrath yeah Gask, Wrath and Ab- Abnegazar oh yeah no Wrath Rath is the
0: one that's in so they're in a vase and then within the vase they've got another broken glass vase which has like a, a worm with sharp teeth in it that is their brother Wrath who has been reborn <laughs> in maggot form. I was hoping, PJ, that you'd have some context no, to
1: explain why
0: why this is the case. These characters are one of my blind spots, I'm afraid.
1: Well, all I basically know about them is that they do get a mention in the official DC encyclopedia, and I think they are associated with the bell, book, and candle, Okay, which are like three very powerful relics in the DC universe, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, that's one of the um,
0: relics they go after in JLA Avengers.
1: Yes, yes, yes indeed. Yes indeed. So you know Kurt Busick knows the score. He gets it. <laughs> but they're also also present
0: is Neron. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Yes, Neron, who I am familiar with, and this is we're this isn't the the only time we're gonna talk about Neron. There's a quite major event coming up soon which uh involves Neron that we're going to have to discuss, but, um, yeah, there he is, sat on, like, a a huge iron throne full of rivets, and but also with vines sort of wrapping around it, and he's got a glass of presumably either wine or blood. This is hell, who knows?
1: Yeah, it's very, like, it's full-on fire and brimstone kind of demonic being kind of territory, although Neron has this weird kind of um, demonic superhero kind of look to him. Like he's not in. He's not like a classical devil.
0: No, it's it's something that I more associate with with Marvel and how they deal with their sort of demonic entities, like Nightmare um, mm. characters, like that. I feel like it's something DC does uh, doesn't do nearly as often. But Neron certainly, in at least in this story, um, does have that look about him. Yeah. And I know now. Neron in in
1: much 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 later years after this story is written and, and, and published Neron ends up being is he not like the primary antagonist of like um blackest night like the Green Lantern storyline
0: uh I want to say yes it's been a little while since I read that but I'm yeah he's definitely majorly involved in that.
1: But I feel he gets a met, like a crazy redesign yes. later on, where he's more like a, a grim reaper kind of skele- ske- skeletal kind of figure. But for me, Neron has always been flowing green cloak, white skin, and this massive like hair metal, like eighties hairdo. It's which it's is just glorious. Yeah. Oh, it's powerful. Platinum it's blonde powerful. and... But, but yeah, so we have essentially a meeting of two groups of demons, really. Um, you've got Neron and you've got the Ancient Ones and they're essentially trying to do like a, a deal what of, a, of sorts.
0: What I also like, though, is just a little touch at the beginning of the, the scene <laughs> where one of the demons, his speech bubble goes, Wrath our brother, thus reborn by Hex and hate in maggot form. Boil the seas to keep him warm. and 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 then he just sort of, there's frustration <laughs> and uh the other his, his brother just says look you're, you're not good enough to make the ranks of the rhyming demons which is a lovely little reference there to to etrigan and jack kirby's the demon oh is it out out the form of man behold become the demon, the demon behold the demon
1: etrigan yeah yeah um which is delightful because it does suggest that there is a rhyme and, and reason to the 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 way that demons operate in the dc universe
0: there's there's ranks and uh, the rhyming demons are are ranked quite highly and you you, i think you actually have to be promoted but i don't know if there's then an audition (laughs) in front of others to make sure that your poetry is okay and you're going to be able to cope with this
1: or is is Neron, um to your knowledge is he is he of a power level essentially like the devil as such the devil capital t capital d in the dc universe or is he just a devil like a very powerful devil i
0: believe it would more be a devil um mm. i think um if you look at, at sandman and all that sort of goes through the sort of different hells and you get lucifer and um the the fallen angels all, all the sort of stuff sandman does i think neron sort of comes under that uh that sort of thing to use marvel as another example as well it's where you get like mephisto and belasco and all the sort of different demons who take the form of the devil but none of them are actually the devil they're just powerful demonic entities um none of whom are actually the devil itself and i think that's that's what's going on here
1: this is this is educational pj this is always (laughs) educational um but no, so they are trying to strike a, a deal of of something and and of some sorts. And Neron is very much like the um, the intelligent, sophisticated devil. He's like the you know he'll it's like very monkey's paw kind of scenario. You can imagine him giving you your heart's desire and then tricking you and getting your soul or something like that. Whereas the ancient ones are a bit more brutal. They go like, look, we we come from a time where. You know, language didn't really exist, so we don't deal in pleasantries or thank you know, fancy talking. So if you want to trade, what's it gonna be? And there's a great little panel of Neron like pouring some of his drink into his mouth, and the if you look really closely, the droplets are actually like people.
0: Do you know I've never noticed that before? Yes, they are. That is a <laughs> lovely little detail that yeah. Brilliant uh and uh yeah so Neron is dealing
1: in souls that's you know that's basically it you know classic demon
0: territory and then the, the caption says stop looking now <laughs> stop looking it's bad um and we cut back to the uh the the coma dude who seems to be waking up because he starts saying nurse um and is it me or does his flowers have a pitchfork in them uh, his flowers do
1: have a tiny little pitchfork <laughs> in them, which is holding up a Get Well Soon card. Yeah, So but it's all just nothing a- sinister there. Mm. I should also point out that the um, one of the nurses is reading, like, essentially the National Enquirer. And uh, she's, there's an article in it called Plight of the Bumblebee Boy. And there's also an article about the world's largest forehead, um, which I've often wondered is a... Um, is Howard Porter having a dig at himself or someone else? I don't know. <laughs> um, it's not quite Grant Morrison because Grant Morrison at this point was um, rocking his uh, classical shaved head look. Yeah. So, yeah, don't know who that is, and I must confess, don't entirely know what Howard Porter looks like. I can identify his artwork. I just I couldn't pick him out of a lineup.
0: But we cut um, the nurses. The, this shooting star that we saw in the first on the first page is is being reflected in the window, and we sort of cut away from the nurses now and close in on this the shooting star. And it turns out it's actually a screaming, winged figure on fire plummeting to the earth. And in a an amazing splash panel, it's just beautiful. We are suddenly far
1: beneath the ocean, and this. Well, frankly, for lack of a better word, this angelic figure has just kind of rocketed down from the surface, like kind of rapidly extinguishing his flames, and like this, this kind of amazing. It's a hell of a shot. Like it's really hard to like visualize, let alone draw, but
0: it's, it's, it's stunning. It's it's so beautiful because it if it the figure has the pose of an angel rising. If you turned the page upside down, it would be your typical image of an angel flying up into the sky, the, the pose he's in and everything. But obviously it's the reverse of that. So this is a falling angel. It's it, it's such a well-done page. It's just stunning. Um, and we get the title and the credits here as well. So Fire in the Sky, Grant Morrison, Writer, Howard Porter, Pencils, John Dell, Inks, Pat Garrahy, he Colors, Heroic Age, Separations, Ken Lopez, Letterer, and Ruben Diaz is the editor.
1: Can I can I just say at this point, I, I think this is the point at which... Um Howard Porter's artwork on the series really just kind of skyrocketed. This is the level up page, isn't it? Yeah, like he, because obviously uh, we we talked about how like his artwork was always good, but certainly in New World Order he was getting used to drawing these characters. There was a certain kind of like um, jagged, kind of angularness to them, and it's like there's a big step up in uh, Woman of Tomorrow. And then just from this point, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is beautiful. Yeah, like, This is crisp.
0: Yeah, Woman of Tomorrow is a definite step up, but you also do really get the feeling this is his first time drawing Electric Superman, and that sort of comes across. But then by the time we get to Superman in this issue, he's pretty much nailed him. Oh, yeah, but it's, it's so good. But this page is a moment, and
1: yeah, just and also And I, also, I, I would say, for a comic which um, is only 22 pages as a, as a chapter... They're not afraid to take their time to do some wonderfully kind of atmospheric kind of moments. So from that splash page, we get this essentially silent page with the exception of um, some sound effects of like the calm, relatively calm waters of the ocean, the moon, this massive full moon. And then there's a, a feather falling from on high. And as we look up and up, we see these three winged silhouettes kind of framed against the moon kind of coming towards us like it's it's really nice yeah so
0: it pulls up but zooms in on the moon in each panel as well so it's it's getting tighter and tighter and i think what you said there atmospheric i think that is the exact word it's something that i think morrison and porter together do so well is they create an atmosphere in the Mm. comic where you you just sort of feel it it's it's hard to describe but you just feel this atmosphere of of something's coming something big is happening and it's scary and but and it's 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 just there without you without them having to verbalize it or or tell you what it is you just feel it and there's a couple of stories i can think of that do that this one and then one in um strength in numbers that we'll get to in time a two-part story there um that does it just as well i think but yeah those those two guys together they really know how to create an atmosphere in a comic book
1: yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because everyone talks about like the classic um, collaborations that Grant Morrison's had over the years, like obviously Grant Morrison, Frank Quitely, kind of like the dream team. But you you never you don't really get a lot of hype about Morrison and Porter working together. And of course, the rest of the creative team, I'm sorry, I don't mean to downplay yeah. their efforts, but it's it, it's interesting because I, I think it's very easy to look at this series and go, "Oh, it was all about the writing." And anyone could have drawn it. But I've got to say, like, Howard Porter's work is very underrated on this book. Like, it's really, really... Like, some of these moments here are just so stylish, for lack of a better word. Just so damn cool.
0: It's it's pages and moments that feel like they should have no place in a superhero comic. Certainly of the 90s, which Mm. were all... Style, no substance, but this is this is stylish substance. That's what it is. Yes, <laughs> it's it's done so well. Literally, the best, the best of both worlds. Um, so PJ, where do we go from there? Well, we cut there to the JLA Watchtower on the moon, um, where Flash and Superman are in the trophy room, and uh, Flash is asking Superman how they think the new Green Arrow is going to fit in. So, it looks like from from the auditions in the previous issue, they have offered Green Arrow a place on the JLA. Uh, that is Connor Hawke, the son of mm-hmm. the original Green Arrow, because uh, at this point, Oliver Queen is dead.
1: After the events of... Oh, heck, you you've you told me this. No, um, well, no, he
0: he died in his own book, um, Green oh, Arrow. Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, his resurrection is tied into Final Night, which came <sighs> after, but he dies in... It's in an issue of Green Arrow. Superman is... is guest starring in the issue he's present at the time oliver queen dies but it did happen in the pages of green arrow
1: right 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 okay i'm with you uh and i guess we shouldn't underestimate the fact that superman is literally carrying the world
0: over his head superman is carrying the world as he talks because flash says to him it must be weird seeing a whole new generation come up so obviously superman has seen a new wally become the new flash he's seen kyle come up as Green Lantern and now he's seeing Connor Hawke take over the mantle of Green Arrow and so Flash is saying to Superman is that weird for you and as Superman holds the world above his head he talks about how he's still concerned about youth and experience and it's someone else he has to look out for and then he talks about how everyone seems to look up to him and it makes him uncomfortable he tries but he can't solve every problem and he doesn't know if he can live up and these are his exact words to this myth they want me to be. Um, while he holds the world above his head, which is also—I'm just going to say here—that's foreshadowing as well.
1: <laughs> and I, and I honestly think this is some of my favorite Superman characterization, just these two pages that I've ever I've ever seen. Because everyone thinks of Superman as being perfect and flawless and boring, little realizing that it's moments like this where it's like Superman is allowed have negative thoughts like he's not a saint like he's not this perfect being but it's so interesting to see him having flaws and like his flaws here are essentially like to to doubt himself yeah like you know he's not supremely confident you know he's thinking like i you know i i can't be this thing that people want me to be and yet you just know he will like in a moment that's what's so kind of lovely about him
0: but i love what wally says to him here as well because it shows that yes superman effectively ushered in this age of heroes he was the first to to appear but wally is the one who's been doing it since he was a child who's grown up in this world in this life so wally sort of i feel like gets it more than anyone else because he mm. says to him the real issue is that no matter how you feel or who you think you are most people just can't see past that s and what it represents including you. And Superman just gives a little laugh and says, yeah, maybe you're right. It's a wonderful... It shows
1: an awareness and maturity in Wally, which is quite surprising, actually. Like, he's certainly come across as a little immature so far. And, yeah, this is a real kind of very grounded moment for him. And it's actually... It's hard to imagine it coming from anyone else. Yeah. Like... Batman's way of talking Superman up or down would be very different, as would Wonder Woman's, as would John's. Yeah, this is a very human perspective from Wally, and it's just such a—it's just a really nice moment.
0: And I love that it happens as well in the trophy room and in the middle of it. Wally just rearranges the trophy room at super speed. So at one moment, the trophy, all the items there are ordered in one way, and then the next panel, they're just different, and Wally's saying that's better. <laughs> the um.
1: I should say, PJ, that it was this page that made me insist on doing Wildcats earlier. Yes, uh, because we have Grifter's guns in a trophy cabinet. Yes. and that was my entire basis for it. Uh, as we have spoke as we have talked about,
0: the timeline of when that crossover fits in is a little kind of shaky. It either has to happen during the last issue or between that issue and this one. Um, I still favour during because there's because of the re- yes. re- how to reference Lord of Time. And speaking of, if the uh, the weapon from the Lord of Time is one of the things in their trophy cabinet here, government let them keep it, which is now reduced to just a glorified shiny beach ball. I also like that they have some Kirby dots in a jar labeled <laughs> Kirby dots, and I like also that they just have glove.
1: Yeah, there's just a, there's just a gauntlet in a in a box called glove, uh, and also they have.
0: Booster Gold's 90s armor yep. as well yep. uh, and uh, Oliver Queen's bow and trick arrows also mm. foreshadowing
1: yes remember those and possibly also the cosmic cube just kind of sitting there
0: yeah and um, some weird alien head thing and claws I'm not sure what that's supposed to be actually it looks familiar I'm sure it is something I should recognize but I just I can't place it right now It looks vaguely like a white
1: Martian head. Vaguely. I I choose to believe the league didn't decapitate. Just for the trophy room. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing that you don't really see very often because it always happens like after the end of each episode where the JLA laugh, the credits roll, and then they just go and decapitate the person they've defeated. So they have another grisly trophy. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so um, Superman, uh, you know, him and Wally are just having this heart to heart. He's taking it on. And then there's this big flash of green energy and uh, Kyle's massive holographic face kind of appears above them and basically says, hey, 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 we've got an emergency in... Damn it, it was San Francisco. It wasn't Los Angeles. This is why I didn't commit to a city. I couldn't remember. (laughs)
0: Damn it. This is also why I didn't say whether you were right or wrong. Thank you, PJ. No, thank you for letting me walk myself. Yeah, I've just let you embarrass yourself. That's what I've done here and I wasn't involved, so...
1: Like uh, like all good parental figures, you let me grow through my own mistakes. So thank you, thank you, <laughs> the Peter. The only way you'll learn. I know, <laughs> I know. If I get you, if I help you, you'll 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 never grow as a person. <laughs> um. So yeah, so yeah, something bad is happening in San Francisco, and John has gone to investigate.
0: And he says uh, he can get there in five minutes, but he'll keep the channel open, let them know what's happening, and then flashes five minutes. I can get there in one. And uh, it's a great moment after that when Superman just points out, uh, why are you, one minute you're the most level-headed person on Earth, and the next you and Kyle are acting like, and he's about to say children, um, (laughs) but then he walks into the teleporter room and something's gone very, very wrong. Yeah, and Wally
1: is inside the teleport pod in this kind of stream of crackling energy, lots of Kirby dots, uh, all in kind of shades of turquoise, and he's just kind of screaming.
0: It's, it's a pretty horrific image actually. when when you look at the smoke pouring out of and, and off Wally's body which is sort of half formed and the look on his face and the clear panic that Superman's feeling as well because he, he doesn't know what this is. He, he tries to get in contact with uh, Green Lantern says can you hear me something's gone wrong here um, but Green Lantern's gone. He's he's not there anymore, and uh we are just gonna cut the scene. But, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and and we suddenly move to uh under the ocean, and we have this angelic figure, and he is uh kind of partially like buried in the in the seabed, like he's kind of like his face is covered in sand. And there is a blue boot. Kind of touching down next to him, and a telepathic voice going, "Everything's all right. Stay calm. I'm here to help. Everything is all right. I'm the Martian Manhunter of the JLA." So you know, right, right on cue, something's happened. They're there,
0: uh, and then the wing figure bubbles are coming out of his his mouth, and Jean realizes he's breathing underwater, which is a bit of a surprise. <laughs> so Jean just stops mid sentence and says, "Are you breathing?"
1: Yeah, and and this angelic dude just kind of like skangs up underwater, and it's like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, breathing. I'm uh where are... I mean, he's like, oh wait, telepathy. God, you know, I thought I was back in the Pax Day with the voiceless choir.
0: Solid. I'm solid flesh, and I'm like, okay, lot lot to unpack. Yeah, there. I well, mean, John's as confused as anyone else because he's just like, what, what's happening here? And then the water starts to divide, sort of to create a, an area of 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 dry land in the middle of the ocean and uh john shouts moons of mars and then what is this to which the figure just says it's the old red sea trick (laughs) and he goes yeah and what i
1: i I just i just love this moment so much i think it says so much about john but like going from a position of absolute confusion and having no idea what the hell is going on Uh, And this this angelic dude goes like, uh, you know, it's the old Reg C trick. They're coming after me. I don't believe they're actually coming after me. And John is instantly business and just goes, how serious is this likely to become? And I love that. He doesn't ask this guy who he is. It's never like, are you in the right? Are you in the wrong? He just knows instinctively to stand with
0: this person. You know, I love it. I love it so much. And, and the response is great as well. How serious is this likely to become? On a scale of 1 to 10, around 12. And I, I just, I don't know, I like, oh, sorry, I'm, just, I'm still loving, it's
1: such a small thing, but I just love how self-aware you can become yeah. as, a, as a long-running superhero. Like, John has seen a variation of this scene played out countless times. Like, he knows an evil empire when he sees one. And it's like these are very clearly the heavily the overpowered bad guys yeah. coming after an underdog. Yeah,
0: and he, he's all business straight away. He's like, I don't know who this guy is, I don't know who these people are, but I do know basically what's happening, and that is the bullies are picking on the little guy. I'm getting involved.
1: Yeah, and, and at that exact moment, these three winged figures touch down, and they are kind of like very intimidating, they've got kind of greyish skin, massive wings. Uh, they're all holding flaming staffs, which are very unusual. And th- th- they are introduced simply as Asmodel's people. And in turn, they refer to our winged friend as Zoriel. And in the name of the Pax Day, Pax you are to be erased from the book. Let any who stand with you beware. We have no mercy. We know no pity. We cannot be stopped.
0: So I think at this point, it's pretty clear we're dealing with angels. Actual angels. (laughs) Um, I've I've done a little bit of research because I I, I always, you know, it's worth checking these things. Asmodel is a real angelic figure uh, in mythology. Um, Mm. He's a warrior angel, sometimes appears as a minotaur. Uh, oh, hence oh, the slightly bullish appearance to his uh, his followers here from the pack's day. Um, I've never known how to pronounce it. I've always gone with Zauriel, but maybe Zoriel is is oh, correct. I, I don't know. You know what? I'm sure either is acceptable. In my head, I think I've always just... Headcanon, he's always just been Zauriel. Um He is not a real angel from the mythological stories. He is purely a Morrison creation. Now, this may come as a surprise, to QPJ, but
1: this story had a fairly big impact on me. And what? Kid, yes, I know. It's shocking, isn't it? And uh, long ago, when I was uh, a, very, a very cool um, teenager and, and uh, you know, young man in his early 20s, I had a comic idea. And it was very teenage. And nothing ever came of it thankfully, because it would be horribly embarrassing if it had ever actually been made. But it was called Dark Force. Really? Yes, PJ, it was called Dark Force, and it was incredibly subversive. Was was it grim and gritty? It was a little edgy, I admit. There were some chains involved. A lot of characters had miscellaneous chains on their outfits. Of course they did. And that story went through about 15 different iterations, because every year I'd come across something new I liked, and I would change the story, and I would just, you know, just kind of crowbar the characters into this new version. But in its earliest iteration, it was almost a direct rip-off of the angels and demons presented in this story. <laughs> where, like, it was... Yeah, it was the most 90s teenage thing. Because I kind of have a theory that, like, every, every teenage boy who tries to make a superhero comic essentially makes it about killing God. You know, I feel <laughs> like... I feel that's basically, like... Almost like a rite of passage, and then hopefully you grow out of it, and you, uh, you know, you you go on to subtler things as you get older. But no, it was very much like the forces of light and the forces of darkness, and then oh, maybe the forces of light aren't as good as you thought. And in my kind of fifteen-year-old brain, I was like, "This is the greatest subversion of expectations ever written. I'm going to blow people's minds with this."
0: And uh, did that eventually become Afterlife? Ink,
1: or no no but I did end up doing a lot of like research into like angel you know the orders of angels the heavens and whatnot and I did eventually of course feed into after I think to some extent <laughs> but I had to I had to go through I had to go through the motions of having a lot of very 90s angels and demons punching each other <laughs> bless you thank you VJ. no you're very understanding but yeah it's I don't know I'd never seen like. It seems, it walks a very fine line between kind of daft and ridiculous, uh, daft and and brilliant. Like the idea of, well, the JLA have already fought aliens, they've battled, you know, alien gogs, they've battled living concepts, you know, colours. Why not battle biblical angels? They've battled the 90s. (laughs) They battled a growing sense of ennui among readerships, uh, and uh, you know a struggling economic model for dis- distributing comics. Uh,
0: why not battle Old Testament angels? Yeah, and angels that Howard Porter has drawn so well as well, though they just they look so powerful. Yeah, these ain't your daddy's angels, no. are they? New, no. these are buff angels. <laughs> but then we get a scene transition. And I love this. It just throws us in at the end of what's clearly been a Wonder Woman Aquaman team up from a book we never read. Hmm.
1: They're in Japan.
0: Yeah. A battle that's almost destroyed Tokyo is almost over. (laughs) And this, again, must be a comment on the uh, prevalence of of manga in the 90s as well and and how that was really just coming to the fore uh, as something that we were discovering in the West um, because Wonder Woman and Aquaman have teamed up against Animech, yes, yep, a, a, a big robot, yep, uh, and Mangatron, <laughs>
1: yeah, and according to the newscast, um, the young otaku who created these robot monsters has succumbed at last to the might of Wonder Woman, and uh, yeah, she is she's flying high above the ocean, and she has like a dude in purple robotic armor kind of tied up with the lasso and she's just kinda of holding him.
0: Yeah, that's that's I suppose Animech and uh she picks up then the JLA alarm and, and she calls for Aquaman who who leaps out of the water and she says, Look, uh, thank you for your help here. I'm gonna head for the nearest teleporter. And I think at this point they've sort of resigned themselves to the fact that Aquaman isn't part of the league. He doesn't want to. So then Aquaman surprises her and says, I think I'll come with you. I thought I'd answer the alarm. <laughs> And he admits, he's, he's embarrassed to admit it, but he is enjoying being in the JLA. And you meant, like, we, we mentioned like the comic taking its time to do some
1: essentially unnecessary but wonderful little setup moments. Like this entire scene is maybe pointless, but I love, I love that they took the time to tell it because it adds, I don't know, it just adds a certain something to it because yeah. there's even like this... Just and the creativity that went into like a throwaway joke about yeah it, like it, just it ends with Wonder Woman going Mangatron what happened to Mangatron and Aquaman just swimming away and going he's drowning his sorrows and, you- and we just see this gigantic robot just sitting on the seabed holding a submarine just looking very depressed. <laughs> I know, like, I, I, wow, yeah. If you're gonna quote unquote
0: waste a page. Do it this way.
1: This is lovely. Like,
0: I feel like any other creator would have told that story. They would have had it maybe as a B plot happening through this issue, and then have the B plot end, and Wonder Woman and Aquaman then leave to join the league. But Morrison's just like, no, I've got this great idea, and we're going to use it for one page. I
1: actually love how how almost like matter of fact, like uh, Wonder Woman and Aquaman are. Yeah. Like, this isn't even like a. This is like a. 10 minute tops kind of save the day scenario like this is the new jla they deal with like real problems now <laughs> real threats but i think it
0: also is showing the growth in aquaman's character because if uh, end of new world order he he down zoom and says this one doesn't want to fight he's got a headache and this is oh sorry i i didn't i don't know what happened there Ugh. and then this time he just delights in it just says of mangatron he's drowning his sorrows and doesn't apologise. He's he's going. You know what? I quite like the puns now. I'm doing it. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with some some jokes as I do things.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that because Aquaman, like many regal superheroes, always plays the hey 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 I've got other concerns. I'm a king kind of card. Uh, I'm gonna assume that the the underwater kingdoms are relatively chill right this second. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. I can take an afternoon. Well, he didn't come. He didn't have his own book at this point, so. <laughs>
0: Oh, did he not? I
1: don't think oh, so. Dear. Maybe they'd been a coup, maybe they finally discovered democracy.
0: <laughs> but he meant he had time to chill with the JLA and actually enjoy himself. And I do love it. I love at this this version of Aquaman.
1: Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you've got to differentiate him somehow, otherwise he's just gonna be a wet Batman. <laughs> wet Batman. Yeah, like you know, <laughs> Batman. Batman doesn't play well with others. You know, you can't have two kind of grumpy dudes just hanging out. So yeah, Aquaman. He's an interesting one. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So from one underwater scene to uh, another, we cut back to San Francisco, and one of the angels is doing a hell of a lot of um, posturing. And he basically threatens Zoriel and Jean and says, aside, or be erased from the book. You will do as you are instructed.
0: And uh, Zoriel explains that the the book is what they call the world. uh, And um, basically says, look, get out of here before it's too late. They're going to seal us in. I can handle this. And the angel starting to reply says, "You can handle that but we get a lovely close-up then of the angel's eye as a green cartoon fish with a bowler hat and a cigar appears just above his eye and says, "You can handle my butt butt head." <laughs> because- and Kyle has arrived and it's it's a brilliant way of, of just taking all of the seriousness and authority away from this angel just to have this little Kyle make this little cartoon fish for no other reason than to insult it.
1: I choose to believe that like these angels haven't been down to the physical realm in like maybe like a few millennia yeah. or something like that. And they're just not used to the nineties attitude, man. <laughs> <laughs> like if Kyle could have turned up on a giant green skateboard, I think he would have done. And, and shouted radical. Radical, man. Whoa. <laughs> um but yeah, so Kyle's just, you know, massively disrespecting him, so this angel blasks him with uh
0: energy which apparently angels can do what and what i really like as well is is kyle is getting flung backwards the energy hitting him but he's still got enough willpower to make the fish look surprised and drop his cigar <laughs> i mean that's just commitment to a bit <laughs> you gotta love it
1: um yeah and then we get this nice little shot where because they're they're standing on the seabed but the the ocean is parted around them we get this cool little shot of one of the angels but viewed through the wall of water like, as if something's approaching from the ocean.
0: And um, the, the angel does then look around, quite surprised. Aquaman bursts out of the wall of water, grabs the angel, flings it into the other side, and follows it through. And it's, it's, it's again, done so well, the transition, you can clearly see the journey that Aquaman and this other angel take through the water, um, shocking the the last angel left standing. I mean, and, and also, like, this is such... So- if this was, I'm trying to picture
1: this as a script because if you didn't have like diagrams and little figures, like hats off to Howard Porter because this is such a hard thing to try and make sense of. Like I'm thinking, well, you'd have to describe a camera angle, but then it's like he goes through the wall of water into another wall of water. But then in the next panel, you see like you see the angel like erupt out of the the, the ocean in the distance with like this big trail of water behind him. But then you have like. Aquaman like leaping out of the water as well, almost like kind of swimming up the trail of water left by the giving angel.
0: chase. Uh, I, I do wonder if that was like Porter interpreted the script in his own way, or if they had maybe a detailed conversation on the phone about it, or <laughs> maybe maybe they had a fax conversation. Oh yeah, well, nineties, nineties didn't have email back uh, then.
1: I also love how. Aquaman has only just arrived on the scene, and he also immediately knows who the bad guys are. Yeah. Just like, gets
0: straight into it. He means business.
1: And also, again, just a lovely moment from Jean. I think there are some deceptively brilliant character moments in this little story, yeah. because Jean is angry. Like, Jean is like the jolly green giant. Like, he's, he's, he's the sensible, calm, caring one. And he just looks pissed. Like, his <laughs> eyes are kind of burning... Bear in mind, Jean has been on the scene like maybe five minutes. Yeah, you know, and A he just happened. knows he knows the score instantly, and he just goes like, "You people, it's like how many times must we face your kind, would be conquerors and master races, so full of your own superiority, you will not see reason or hear the voice of sanity, but hear this, hear this," and he's, and he's got his that great kind of '90s thick border around his comic, uh, around his speech bubble because we will not do as we are as we are instructed and just this blast of like martian vision floors this angel like absolutely scorching them
0: it's just like yeah nice sean and the angel then lands on the ground and sort of starts to pick himself up and he is slightly blurred as he says this i think to illustrate he he says thy bodies are vibrationally attuned to the plane of the book by tuning into a higher key momentarily, we can repair any damage to our substance. They can self heal effectively by phasing in and out of existence very quickly. And you know what, PJ? I stole the hell out of that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not even hiding it. Yeah, just John, 14 year old John, 15 year old John, however old I was, just
0: flat out stole that for his story. Aww, I'm sorry, Grant and Howard. And then, yeah, returns unhurt, you will be erased, at which point Wonder Woman lands on his head. <laughs> and, and, and also says one of
1: the most stupid but brilliant jokes ever. She goes, really? By whom? And Jean replies, your grammar is impeccable, Wonder Woman. It appears to have stunned him.
0: <laughs> like, oh, Jean. What
1: the hell? <laughs> it's amazing.
0: And uh, Zariel is qu- clearly quite taken with Wonder Woman. Uh, but then we, we cut straight to this other angel trying to fly away from Aquaman, <laughs> but he's actually grabbed him by the ankle. Again, a great little panel as well,
1: because they are high above the the port now. Uh, they've gone inland a little bit. And yeah, this angel appears to have lost a bit of his focus. He just seems pissed off that Aquaman even touched him. Yeah, And again, so many bizarre little one-liners, because he goes like, you dare assault me? And Aquaman's like winged
0: tripe I haven't even started yet <laughs> even what? though he's 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 dangling by his ankle he's swinging his hook as well and, and yeah my money is on Aquaman he looks angry Um, yeah so I think the
1: ocean wall is maybe starting to I don't know maybe the ocean wall is starting to kind of
0: like collapse or something like that yep. but well, you, Wonder Woman is, you see in the panel Wonder Woman and Zariel stood on the ground but Jean's boots are at the top of the page so he's clearly flying off And Wonder Woman is like, no, you know, cut the crap. You know,
1: we need to get to the point of this. Like, you jabs a finger at Zoriel. Like, I want an explanation. (laughs) You know, what the hell is going on here? And uh, at the same time, Kyle has taken down an angel by, and I love this, imagining a cage that absorbs all the energy of his efforts to escape and converts it to sound. (laughs) And he has imprisoned the angel in this kind of green. Um, shell, for lack of a better word, but this really complex-looking device. Like, I just love the madness and the creativity of like his the way he uses his powers. It's great.
0: And uh, the the device as well has a Green Lantern symbol on it, just to uh, you know he's got a he's an artist. He's got to sign his work.
1: Oh yeah, the branding is very yeah. very very important. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so then all everyone who can fly, so Jean, Wonder Woman, and Zorio, they join Green Lantern, and they're like okay,
0: look, you know, we just, come on now, join us, we've got to work out what the hell's going on, and they kind of fly off. And uh, Kyle does point out that he he did hear something kind of weird from the watchtower. The last thing he heard was something about the Flash being trapped in a transporter beam, and it then cuts to the watchtower, which is shaking on the moon, and little explosions seem to be going off around it, and uh, as Kyle's narration says, Superman said something about the watchtower, the whole place was shaking.
1: It's also... uh, Oh, yeah, sorry, no, I will will save that for later. I had a thought, but I don't want to get into it too much. Mm -hmm. Um, And we cut back to our demonic little friends who are chilling in their little vase of roses. And, yeah, Neron seems, you know, happy in a great old cackling demonic kind of way. And uh, he says how little it takes for it all to come tumbling down. So he's paralysed for Flash. He's isolated Superman. And apparently he's created uh, strife between the Orders of Angels. Uh, And this is where my study of the various Orders of Angels came in very handy. (laughs) uh, Because he mentions the thrones, the powers, and the dominions, who are all different classes of angels. Oh, there you go. There are nine, if I recall. Okay. Okay. I'm glad you asked, PJ. They are the angels... Mm -hmm. The Archangels, that's two. Um, The Thrones, the Powers, the Dominions. Yeah, we got those. Uh, The Principalities, that's another. There's definitely the Seraphim and the Cherubim. And then there's another one which I always forget.
0: Wait, I wasn't counting. Go through them all. No, don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You nightmare. That was eight, Eight, I think. I can't remember the, the, the final one.
0: Can you name every member of the Hyperclan?
1: yes well I can <laughs> I'll just but I, I, no, I you can I, I can't you, that's fine no it's, I of course I can PJ
0: I just wouldn't want to embarrass you by <laughs> uh, by doing it now on air <laughs> but back to the page flash there's an image of the flash trapped in the transporter beam in neuron's wine glass which I really like and I also like his his statement
1: of my joy could scarce scarcely be bleaker. <laughs> I can't speak, I ruined the delivery, but he said my joy could scarcely be bleaker. It's lovely.
0: Scarcely? Scarcely.
1: Scarcely. 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 Thank you. I'm a writer. Scar- Scarkely. Scarkly Scarkecordily is what I meant to say. <laughs> yeah. Loves good scar cord. It was the 90s. Um, yeah, and then also, weirdly, Neuron generates like a... It's almost like a, there's an image of a woman, very briefly, like uh, just in his hand. Yeah. It's almost like a blinking you miss it kind of moment. I'm, but he, I'm not he, sure who that's who that is, if I'm honest. I think I know who that is. Okay. But we'll save that for now, he said. You have to tune in next episode to find out.
0: Ha <laughs> ha, we keep you
1: on a hook. Um yeah, and he's also made a a moon for the ancient <laughs> ones. Like a toy moon for them to play with.
0: Yeah, and um Gast asks if we were can I maybe you know pull the moon down from the sky make the night dark go on let me let me and uh, Neron lets him play with this toy moon and Gast starts laughing maniacally and, and there's a very he, he looks like Atlas holding the world above him and he's pulling the earth down or the, yeah, the moon down Um, it's a hell of a little
1: panel actually it looks for, for these kind of weirdly squat almost comical little demons he does look pretty terrifying in this little panel
0: yeah yeah
1: uh, yeah, so apparently um the apparently the moon is moving.
0: That's not good. But we're not gonna deal with that just yet. We're gonna cut to what I assume is Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. Where uh, the JLA and Zauriel have landed and surprised a hippie.
1: Uh yeah, um who is who is smoking a uh, herbal cigarette, it would appear. Uh and yeah, appears to be uh surprised that his his weird trip has come a little sooner than expected uh, and um zoriel is zoriel is basically like introducing himself and he says look i'm an angel you know hey i'm a, I'm a guardian angel you know and i quit
0: yeah. so how, how are you nice to meet you kind of thing uh, i requested mortality and and kyle is like well hang on hang on you're 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 really an angel like an actual real angel and zariel does say well why is that so strange you're not exactly the typical american family
1: yeah, uh, Z- Zoriel is not really what you'd expect from an angel. Like, he seems very kind of, like, down-to-earth, in a way. Like, quite kind of human in the way he speaks. There's, there's and he's, he's
0: very sardonic.
1: Yeah. Um, which is interesting, because I know his character changes a bit over the course of the series. Like, a, I think he's quite different in his introduction here yeah. than when we maybe see him later. But, yeah, here he's, like look, okay, hey guys, look, here's a situation, okay, I only just arrived, there's a really dangerous guy from the Seven Heavens following me, his name's Asmodel, it's a pretty major deal, Uh, you know, it's just really like, look, okay, here's the skinny, here's the straight dope, things are pretty bad, Um, and he says, wait a minute, did you you hear that? And there's like a wind picking up, it's like, uh, and the clouds are gathering, and something kind of ominous seems to be happening.
0: And as that's happening, Kyle and Jean actually say, "Well, well how powerful is Azmodell? What sort of how what threat level are we talking about?" And um, the description is 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 brilliant. It's uh, imagine a being whose every heartbeat is a thousand Hiroshimas, whose gaze can strip flesh from bone, whose blood is the universal solvent, an acid ten thousand times purer than any on Earth. If you can imagine that, you can just about imagine Azmodell. I love how,
1: you know, they say like, um, you know, there's that meme going around where, you know, you have to find someone who looks at you the way this person does. You know, that's true love. It's like, I think you need to find someone who talks about you the way Zoriel talks about Asmodele. Like, he is possibly the best hype man <laughs> I've ever seen. Like, if it, this was a wrestler's intro, it's like, my God. <laughs>
0: like, what, would, uh, what would Asmodele's uh, intro music be?
1: Um, it would probably be Ode to Joy. But played like really loud, like a heavy metal version. Yeah, <laughs> like um, like a, a mumblecore version. Like <laughs> it's just kind of just it's just being sped up and put like a techno beat under it. <laughs> um, and I guess just to put the cherry on on the cake, um, there is a massive golden pyramid appearing above San Francisco. It is a very unusual image.
0: I I feel like that's going to be a problem. Also. What I love here is the water and the pyramid have clearly been computer colored, but like again, that sort of three D nineties computer imagery, and while well, the rest of it is sort of more traditional flat comic book coloring.
1: Oh yeah, PJ, good good spot. I somehow never noticed that. It's like there's um, it's almost like there's a high quality JPEG of um, <laughs> the surface of the ocean or something, kind of overlaid over yeah. over the sea. Well, that's, that's funky. Um. But yeah, so Kyle is trying to keep up and he's like, okay, so you're an angel. These other guys are angels, but are trying to kill you. That's basically it, right? And uh, Zarya was like, yeah, 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 basically. Like, you know, I I know things. They, they want to silence me so I don't share their secret. And now that I've become
0: flesh, I'm vulnerable. I can die, basically. At which point Wonder Woman realizes they left Aquaman fighting an angel <laughs> in the sky. They completely forgot about Aquaman. Well, they're so used to him not joining them for League missions and saying, no, I don't want to, that they forget. Now he's saying, actually, I will. And they've all gone, wait, who? What? I mean, I suppose,
1: but like, that's, that is actually pretty sucky. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. they, they totally got caught up in the moment.
1: Yep. Oh, I can just hear some screaming outside.
0: Are they sad about Aquaman?
1: I think they're sad about Aquaman. That might actually be Aquaman kind <laughs> of uh, in pain. Um, there will be a we'll hell of a guest in. star it's, if we could get Aquaman it, it, on the podcast. And, and ladies and gentlemen, he's here tonight. <laughs> uh, a certain degree of verisimilitude. Uh, Somebody screaming outside. That's nice. Um, and and Zariel's like, uh, "Oh my God, we left him with uh, Traumiel." Uh, he goes, Doré, leave this to me."
0: Do you think? Um, and, do you think uh, Zariel should be saying God like that as an expletive? He should be taking the Lord's name in vain. Well, maybe he's like, maybe they're like buddies. So it's more like going like Pete. So it would be like if, say, my cat bit me, and I went, "Ah, oh, John," and I'd
1: be like, uh, "Yes," because let's be honest, PJ, we 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 record most days, so <laughs> there's a good chance there's a good chance your mic is always on, and I'm I'm just there listening. Stop recording my
0: life, John. You creep. You weird creep.
1: Uh, PJ, and when you looked down at the sand and saw only one set of footsteps, that was me. <laughs> chasing you <laughs> 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 to make you record another episode <laughs> okay, yeah. um but yeah so zoriel flies off to go help aquaman and he basically tells the jla to leave it to him because he doesn't want them to well he feels bad about getting them involved Yes yeah, he,
0: he, he says, says don't be here when asmodel arrives um Z- Z- zoriel is scared of, of asmodel and he doesn't want the league involved uh, which is nice yeah i guess he's thinking about them um But then we cut to Aquaman running away across the rooftops from this angel.
1: Yeah, like, clearly they've been having fun these these past few minutes.
0: Yes, yeah. Uh, So the angel, uh, Traumiel, Traumiel, is is flying after Aquaman. He says, there's no way you can go but down. And Aquaman just says, yes, you're right, down it is, and dives into a rooftop swimming pool, (laughs) dives through the floor of the swimming pool, and into the room below, covered in water, as that follows him into... It looks like a, a little conference room. Um, Which is
1: such a mad little set piece. Yeah.
0: Like, such a weird little thing for a throwaway scene. It's, it's delightful. It really is. And it's that thing where, you know, Aquaman is obviously... He's, he's strong everywhere, but he's most powerful in the water. So he's, he's getting himself some water to get some... Uh, give himself the advantage.
1: Yeah, you know, got to keep hydrated. It's very important. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, so Aquaman is kind of like you know uh, up to his thighs in water. He's he's falling into a into a battle kind of stance. He's he's ready. He's he's pumped. And uh, yeah, this angel, I guess I guess Tromiel or Traumiel, uh, is uh, descending. And he's 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 got a bit of swagger to him. You know, he's monologuing basically, which is always the downfall of any villain. But he's going like you know, your body is strong, adapted to the pressures of the ocean floor but I will show you pressures beyond all endurance. I will drown you in depths of pain. I will crush your bones to glass. And then Zauriel (laughs) arrives and says, blah, blah, blah. And double punches, which is a hell of a move, double punches this angel into the wall.
0: And says, you've had that coming for a long time. And then you just get uh, a shot of a very surprised Aquaman just quietly saying, Kata, Which is, correct me if I'm wrong, a reference to Hawkman? Yeah, that's Hawkman's, or or the Hawkman Aquaman knows anyway. It's his real name. Ah. So, not allowed to have Hawkman in the book, but you can mention him. Why are they not allowed to have Hawkman in the book? Because they didn't know how to fix his continuity at this point.
1: Interestingly, Was he technically dead at this point? No, he was
0: just not... He was just too confusing and dc editorial uh, guidelines at this point would just stay clear of hawkman we don't know what to do with him no one's allowed to use him at the moment because we've messed him up bad seriously <laughs> yeah it wasn't until he appeared in a couple of um elseworlds books um there's a jla elseworlds series that came along around this time called created equal it was a two-part prestige format series where every single male on Earth dies except Superman and Lex Luthor. Um, but right. that has um, Hawkman in it at the beginning. Um, he's in in that. And I think there's another one, there's another couple of JLA Elseworlds books that Hawkman appears in. But in main DC continuity, up until the point where Jeff Johns fixed him in the pages of JSA and then launched the Hawkman Solo series... Which would be a few years after this. Uh, no one was actually allowed to use the character
1: because my. I've got to say, I have never cared about the character of Hawkman. Um, I know there's a lot of people who do. I'm just saying, he as a character, he has never done anything for me. And most of what I know about his character comes from what I read in the DC Encyclopedia. <laughs> I have to say, and even that sounded confusing. Like, is he a reincarnated? ancient egyptian warrior there's also like an alien race who are
0: hawk men the thanagarians the thanagarians uh, it's it's a lot it's hard to keep track of i think what jeff johns basically said was yes he's an alien who is also the reincarnation of an ancient egyptian priest man um which is a very simple way around it and i can't believe nobody thought of it before that okay um, but I guess what's I guess the, the only real takeaway is
1: is that Aquaman's primary introduction to a dude with wings is Hawkman.
0: Yeah, well, he really only doesn't get a good look at him. He just sees him from behind and sees the wings and thinks, "Oh, it's Hawkman," and then realizes, "No, it's it's not." As uh, Zariel uses some kind of sonic scream to um, disintegrate Zariel.
1: Yeah, to, to, to literally turn him into a, a blasted shadow on the wall, which is kind of a lot, you know. Uh, and apparently that took a lot of effort for Z- Z- Zoriel. He goes, he starts coughing and says like he nearly ripped his throat out in doing it.
0: And Aquaman asks what he did, and he just says, uh, one of the tricks I was allowed to keep, it's a sonic flash that disrupts the frequency of angelic vibrations and it can take years to restabilize." So he's not dead, he hasn't killed him, he can still reform his body it's just going to take a long time
1: which you know is good so again he didn't kill <laughs> definitely definitely didn't kill the guy parachuted to safety he's fine um and uh yeah Zoriel's was like uh, so hey that name you said and aquaman's like nah f- you know forget it I, I just thought you were someone i used to know
0: and i think that was uh, that forget it is aimed at him and us oh okay readers okay. don't think about hawkman okay we gave I- you that little reference but now you're not allowed to think about him again.
1: I honestly didn't know there was that, I should say, that editorial rule. I honestly assumed this was because at this point in history, Hawkman had, had died, and maybe like tragically, heroically, or something like that. And I don't know, I thought it brought up unpleasant memories for Aquaman or something like that. But no, it was editorial, yeah. basically. Comics, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but there is a weird moment where Aquaman goes, "Can you feel something? Like there's something wrong. I can, I can feel it in my blood." He goes, "It's for tigres. Something's happening to the tigres." And, and lightning crackles outside.
0: And we we cut then outside, and um, the golden pyramid has covered San Francisco. It's lowered itself down, sort of it's effectively hollow. now. Yeah, San Francisco and therefore the JLA are now inside it. Uh, and it, Jean can't even phase through it. Um, Wonder Woman asks what they can expect, and Zariel says a disaster.
1: Yeah, again, he's 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 being a real hype man again. But he's basically saying we're talking about a higher order of reality entering this plane. Gotta say, young John reading this, oh yes, like that, <laughs> very much, very, very um. Really, a seminal moment for my development. Really, that because I'm like, oh yes, I'm gonna gonna steal and reference that for the rest of my life, basically. <laughs> and he basically says that um, the world they come from, the world he comes from, has more of everything. So, you know, I don't think you'd understand. He's really, really leaning into this. But he goes like, you know, the light of heaven would slash open your your eyes. the The music of heaven would puncture your eardrums and drive you insane. The air of heaven would burst your lungs and boil your blood. Only spirit can bear heaven's touch. All flesh is destroyed, and you know which is a pretty good, again, great hype. It's, it's he's good at describing these things, isn't he? He really is. And it's like he's had this prepared, you know. Uh, but then this massive
0: ship, for lack of a better word, starts materialising through a wall of the pyramid. Well, you you get a blast of noise as well behind Zariel. You can see the the giant letters just forming like this this blast of noise and it says uh, the, the, the judgment horn he must have gone mad and uh, yeah the ship is apparently Asmodel's chariot um,
1: and yeah and apparently Zoriel is just stunned because he's like yeah he, he can't do this like if he enters earth in, in full glory I mean the, the devastation alone like this apparently done a great job really sold the idea that we're about to face something of just power level plus you know it's and kyle is worried yeah kyle's
0: basically uh i'm gonna call superman uh we need the big guns (laughs) so he creates a phone box creates a phone box out of green energy which is delightful with his logo on it because artist sign. branding very important and he says, uh, Superman, how are things up there? We need some assistance. And uh Superman, he can't assist. He's uh dragging a giant chain through the watchtower, which is still sort of shaking and debris falling, and putting an oxygen mask on. And he says, Look, flash is still in the teleporter. Our instruments tell us that the moon is falling towards the earth. <laughs> <laughs> and Kyle's just like, What? No. <laughs> this as well um kyle just shouts we can't get out of san francisco we can't help you and so says, look i've got this you look after yourselves and i'll do what i can up here and kyle just says i'm gonna have to sign off i think the apocalypse just arrived as you get a whole host of angels flying around san francisco and the giant ship materializes
1: yeah and i've got to say like a very future like not doesn't look like something biblical it looks like technological kind of like um like a spaceship, basically, like this massive red spaceship has appeared above San Francisco.
0: Yeah, with lots of Kirby crackle around it. And, and yeah, and that and that is the end. That is that is the cliffhanger. Yeah, next heaven on earth. That's end of the issue. Oh boy! Now flipping egg. Now
1: now PJ, that felt like a quick episode. Oh, I felt like a. I don't know. It felt like it moved at a real pace that issue
0: it's it's a very action-packed issue it's there's a lot of action in it so it, it does it moves quite quickly but you get you get a lot of plot and character work within the action so you don't feel shortchanged by by either
1: yeah i've got to say i'm kind of amazed that uh, it i i've said this before but i do feel that one of like the weirdest elements or of comics or, or one of the weirdest skills of, of being a comic creator is how you compress or expand time. Because 22 pages can seem like a lot of space, but I say most readers can probably breeze through a 22-page issue in, in, in a matter of minutes, yes. particularly if there's a lot of action going on. And I feel it's very easy to finish an issue and think, well, what just happened? like or rather what did i get value for money did i feel like there was a real story here and it's kind of amazing that you get to the end of this issue and my first thought is well that was really quick like you know we we just we just rocketed through it clearly nothing happened but then you look back at it and you're like so much happened in such a short space of time it is very very economical storytelling
0: it's really good yeah and it we haven't even reached the best bits of the story yet. The best No the the, the greatest moments in this story are, are in the second part, and I cannot wait to cover those. But yeah, you get so much in this issue, and it's it's we we already talked about how good Morrison and Porter together are at creating an atmosphere, but you know, we've 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 covered a few stories now. we we looked at New World Order, we and obviously the Wildcat's crossover, we looked at Midsummer's Nightmare. We've looked at Secret Files and Origins and we covered The the Woman of Tomorrow. This is the first story for me that feels like a threat that could be beyond the JLA's power. This is the first one where it feels like it's a proper, apocalyptic, world-shattering problem. Um, And Morrison and Porter sell that so well.
1: Do you, do you ever worry that there's like a kind of arms race in comics? Or certainly with the JLA. Because the JLA have always... Versus the Avengers have always dealt with slightly bigger, more kind of like conceptual threats. Like these, you know, they, they ancient dying gods, you know, kind of uh, weird planet-shattering devices. Like really like over-the-top stuff. And it's very hard to get a bead on the respective power levels of different threats. Like if a JLA can face dark side for example are the Hyperclan really a threat you know if they can face the hyper clan and they can deal with if then are angels really a threat so it's like you're kind of scacking apocalypses after a while
0: it is but there's there's a lot of smaller things within that like when we get to our when we finish this storyline we get to the next two-part storyline it's really a much smaller more personal threat but it's one that um, it's the more thoughtful one it's sort of it's a surprise attack that that uses brains and intelligence to to go at the league rather than this sort of all powerful world shattering thing mm-hmm. um, so they 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 do both in quick succession but then after that obviously we're going to get on to some more big stories <laughs> um, yeah it's it's a real I feel like the JLA are in a position where you can sort of, as long as you tell a good story with it, you can throw anything from a small to a big threat against them and it'll work. I think, I, I've always felt that like superhero comics are at their
1: worst when each character is a blunt instrument, mm. or where each character is just for some of their powers. Like Superman, well, he's strong and he can fly and he's got laser vision, so he's got a power level 10 and that means that this threat is a power level nine, so Superman will 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 win. I, I really I really hate that because because yeah. then I, I don't think that's very interesting, and, and suddenly it does become a, a question of well who's more powerful, who would win scenarios. It's just you know two, two people punching each other until one falls down. So I think like the best superhero stories are where the characters actually have to uh think and use their powers in a creative manner, or kind of collaborate in weird ways. Like, it's really... It should be a, the character, you know, like, the, the personality and the intelligence and the resourcefulness of a character that wins the day, regardless of their powers. Well, like, not just because they're strong.
0: I think it's something... Because they're... What well, they call it online? boards, where it's just fans arguing over who's more powerful, who would win in a fight and all this, the you know, you get the the Superman fans and the Batman fans going at it online, and the Hulk and the Thor fans going, no, mine would win, mine would win. And um, I think people kept asking Kurt Busiek this, and so he came up with a stock answer, because he was fed up of it, and he his, his one answer to the question, who would win in a fight between X and Y, is always whoever the writer wants. Uh, and that's yeah. it. It depends who's writing the comic, what the purpose of the story is, and, and that's who wins the fight. It's not about oh, this one's more powerful, so they'd win every time. Yeah, that's really boring, though. I'd rather have a good story.
1: Well, it is, isn't it? Because, like, I mean, Spider-Man's a classic example. Like, one of my... um, I remember it was a random issue of Spider-Man that I got on a uh, a family holiday. Back when, you know, finding proper American Spider-Man comics was very hard, but it was a random comic in the back of a newsagent where it was an oversized issue where Spider-Man teamed up with Nate Gray... The X-Man. Oh yes. To fight
0: Electro. I remember and, that one, yeah.
1: And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Because yeah, if you're going down
0: like the power
1: level side of things, then it's like, okay, well, Spider-Man has a strength of six and an agility of eight. So he can swing a bit, he can punch a bit, but Electro has a raw power of ten, you know. But what makes the fight interesting is that Spider-Man has to build an insulated suit, a rubber suit, to fight Electro so he doesn't get electrified, or that it it kind of, like, it fails a little bit, it doesn't work, so he has to readapt. And I think there's a bit near the end where Spider-Man just picks up a small chunk of rock and throws it at Electro's head to knock him out, and it's like, that's brilliant! Because Spider-Man's being resourceful, he's being flexible, and it's really...
0: It's Peter Parker who won the fight, not Spider-Man. I think Spider-Man's a great example of this kind of storytelling, actually. And, and funny enough, I was talking to a friend about this the other night. And there's, there's one matchup that's happened a few times that really brings out the best in that way of telling a story and the character of Spider-Man. And that is the four or five times they've pit Spider-Man against the Juggernaut. <laughs> um, hopelessly outclassed. But in particular, the one that springs to mind is um, a more recent example written by Kieran Gillen, when they had the Avengers versus X-Men crossover, and within that there was a mini series of effectively where they just have two fights between members per issue. I think it was called AVX versus, and one of those fights was Spider-Man versus the Juggernaut, which was at that point was Colossus was the Juggernaut. Yes, but effectively Spider-Man's taking a hammering and just using his agility to try and stay out of reach, but also trying to stop the collateral damage from happening and protect innocent people and there's a moment towards the end of it where his costume's torn he's bruised he spider-man looks the worst for wear and hasn't done much damage to the juggernaut and he says okay fine you're unstoppable but you know what that means and he just pulls the pose puts his fists up and he just says it means i have to be unstoppable too and that to me is the core of spider-man and the way of telling those stories as well of how you can have these fights happen and and not necessarily go oh have them just be a a battle boards who would win this fight it it's you you can use them to get to the heart of a character and to have clever moments and things like that and um it's more interesting that way well
1: yeah and that no it is it is more interesting it's so much more interesting because you know if if you start to go over it all with a fine tooth comb you say like well an issue two, the JLA, you know, in issue two, Flash clearly ran faster than the speed of light and, you know, gained infinite mass and punched a guy into orbit. So why doesn't he do that in every episode? Or how would this character ever pose a threat to the JLA when they battled, um, you know, when they battled Darkseid a few issues ago? It's like that... After a while, that's just nitpicking. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, if it's Pokemon and you've just got two monsters punching each other, yeah, the strongest one is gonna win. But... In these kind of scenarios, where like they're fully rounded characters, they're resourceful. It's the creativity of that situation, it's or, or the threat they're facing that makes it interesting. So yeah, like now they're fighting actual angels, like actual Old Testament angels, and it's like an escalation in some ways. But it's also, I I I don't worry about well, who's more powerful? Is it Protex? Is it a white Martian or or an
0: angel? I'm just thinking like, well, how are the JLA gonna get their way out of this one? You know? And the comic even goes some way itself towards say towards that and, and saying, This is the JLA, how do we how do we bring this threat to them? And part of that is is the Neeron aspect of the story and the fact that he does sideline Superman and the Flash, who are two of the more powerful members of the league. And they can't get involved in this fight with the Angels because of what Neron's done with the watchtower on the moon. I also, I've got to say, I also quite like the fact
1: that these characters do have limitations. Yeah. Like, I like the idea that Superman can do almost anything. But apparently, you know, I know they've had to inca- incapacitate him by creating this bigger threat. But even if Superman were to, say, fly from the moon to Earth, he'd need, like, an oxygen tank. Yeah. You know, he's it, it's, it's not quite. I don't know. If he doesn't have, if a character doesn't, regardless of how powerful they are, if a character doesn't have some obstacles they need to overcome or some weaknesses, they become unrealistic. Yeah. It's it's nice that like, Jean and Superman both need to breathe, even though they can fly in orbit.
0: But I like that you also get uh, an indication in this issue of superman isn't just a strong guy he's got a brain on him as well because we don't know what he's doing yet with that cliffhanger but he's clearly up to something he's got the oxygen tank he's carrying this giant chain he knows the moon is falling towards the earth but he says he's dealing with it and (laughs) it's and he's got a plan and at this point you have absolutely no idea what that plan could be but he's thought about it he's 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 trying something um and yeah to show that superman is is more than just his powers which is also what he was talking about really earlier on in the issue, um, which again is, is is a brilliant moment between him and The Flash. It's, it's something that Morrison does brilliantly. How did you
1: feel about, or rather in general, how do you feel about very binary depictions of heaven and hell in comics or kind of superhero kind of universes? Like... We know that the Spectre is a thing in the DC Universe and I've always thought that compared to the Marvel Universe, the DC Universe deals with more kind of absolutes and does some, and and in the hands of a right creative team, does some quite interesting things about them, but in the DC Universe, the presence is basically the Judeo-Christian God. Yeah. Is, Is it not? Like it made the universe.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, and i think it works to be honest in the dc universe with the history of that universe and everything you see in that in in the actual comics and things and having this depiction of angels where in some ways it's a very classical depiction you know they're they're not wearing much they they've got it's almost like greek robes with cloaks and then that's it big sandals but then they've got this giant spaceship thing as well um and it's almost like uh, this is how we're appearing to you, just so you can understand what you're seeing to a degree, but we're also far above you. And you get that with like just this random golden pyramid that lands on San Francisco, and it just feels other.
1: It uh, Like, I'd always... Yeah, it, it's interesting, wasn't it? Because I, I'm certainly... I'm, I'm not trying to, like, nitpick or be the guy who says, like, this doesn't kind of work or make sense. But in a universe where we know the Greek gods exist because, you know, of Wonder Woman, or where we know that, like, Atlantis has its own source of magic and spirits and and goes back thousands and thousands of years. It's interesting how when you get, like, a truly biblical kind of angel kind of turning up, I'm kind of like, what does that mean for the greater DC mythology there? Like, what's the relationship between, say, the Greek pantheon and... These angels.
0: Have you read um, Heaven's Ladder, JLA Heaven's Ladder? I have not. Okay, that is the um, the one shots special edition format they did, uh, basically in between Morrison's run and Mark Wade's run. Um, so Mark Wade, a lot of his run was drawn by Brian Hitch, and this was an oversized graphic novel story written by Mark Wade and drawn by Brian Hitch introducing their take on the league effectively and it involves um the afterlife and uh, a race of aliens trying to figure out what that is and they the league have conversations then about life after death what comes there and the fact that they did have an angel on the team and what that means and it's really interesting and it's something we might have to cover
1: okay no that's intriguing to me because obviously this is something which um you know, clearly fascinates me because I've, I've kind of like, uh, I think pretty much in everything I've written, I've, I've, I've had some kind of concept of divinity or whatever. I'm just because I'm not a, I'm not a religious person at all, but I'm, I'm, I'm definitely fascinated by yeah. religions, and and it's interesting that just because for the longest time, most of the creators working in mainstream comics have been. You know, Western, you know, um, mostly probably coming from like a Christian background just because, yeah, it was it was pretty, pretty homogenous for a long time. It wasn't a very diverse place for creators. And so I just find it interesting that most of the depictions we get are of um, the Judeo-Christian kind of mythology, basically. Like hell is a powerful concept. Heaven is a powerful concept. But at the same time, you'll have like... You know, uh, Shinto characters. Like I think um, Thor has met uh, some Japanese deities over the years yeah. and stuff. It's interesting how all these mythologies seem to exist, and yet there does appear to be one god ruling over over all of them. And more often than not, it's like the Judeo-Christian one. Yeah. I don't know. It's just I don't know. It's not. I don't really have a point. It's just like an observation. I I think it's it's not a bias. I think it's just the the worldview that creators are kind of coming at it from just because it's what they know
0: i think we'll probably get more into that in this run it does come up again and um yeah i think we should at the relevant point cover heaven's ladder i think uh, i think you'd find that very interesting very good
1: now this is, this is why i'm glad you're here pj <laughs> you kind of um you uh you, you teach me so much I try. Well, sorry, PJ. I, well, I've rambled, PJ. Did you? Did you have any kind of final thoughts
0: on this issue um, and what it kind of meant? Well, we haven't talked about the front cover. Um, that's the Justice League being poured out of Neron's wine glass into Neron's mouth. So there, that is. It's a pretty gruesome image, actually.
1: <laughs> There's, there are actually some very good covers around this time. Yes. Like I, I'm looking at because we're all are all on the back of my collected edition. Yeah, me and, too. Yeah, like again, I feel I feel kind of like peak Howard Porter around this time.
0: Yeah, even though um, the 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 second two part story we'll be looking at from this trade uh, after we finish this story arc isn't drawn by Porter, the two issues are drawn by uh, another art team. Porter still did the covers for them, and um, they're both really good covers. Actually, they are really good. I say, I've, I there's always this part of me that just
1: never wanted this particular era of JLA to end. Like I feel, I, I could, there's an imaginary five books set between american dreams and rock of ages in my head where the league are just having continued one-off little adventures with this cast (laughs) and howard porter drawing this way and just these fun little kind of self-contained stories
0: that yeah yeah they they could they could go back and say you know here's some stories that that you didn't see that happened to this league um Oh, you can never go back,
1: sadly. It's, that's just my, you know, that's just my kind of, like, little head cannon. Because, obviously, I like where the series goes from here, but it is a different beast. It goes through, like, these different kind of phases. Yeah. And I, I get very nostalgic for this point in time.
0: Yes. Yeah, me too. It's it's the definitive Justice League, isn't it? And, of course, Electric Blue, you
1: know, just doing his thing, looking looking incredible.
0: <laughs> he is brilliant.
1: Well, with that in mind, PJ, um, I guess we've got something pretty amazing to look forward to in the next issue. Oh, we, yes. We, can, we kind of know what's coming. Um, is there anything, is there any avenue of, of, of interest we haven't explored, do you think?
0: Um, I don't think so. Nothing that won't be covered next time, I don't think. I mean, I can't wait to talk about that moment that we're alluding to. That We both <laughs> know what it is. There are two, actually, and I can't wait to talk about both of them. Um, we know we know they're coming yeah and yeah
1: like i said you talk about like formative moments for like a young a young john Locke. but yeah i was like wow (laughs) clearly like a lot of my inspiration right out right out on the page here um well i guess with that in mind i should say a massive thank you to gav mitchell for drawing our beautiful cover artwork
0: Uh, and elliot red for composing and performing our stunning theme tune justice
1: and if you would like to uh, follow myself or PJ uh, all, uh, on social medias, our uh, links are in the description. Uh, is there anything you'd like to shout about, PJ? Anything Anything? kind of on your mind?
0: Um, yes. Yes, there is. And that is, why are my cats so stupid?
1: Is this like a an exact moment in time right now. No, they're can just idiots. That I, so I just
0: want to know if someone oh. can explain why that is. So yeah, let me know.
1: Yeah, please. Um, our contact details are also in the description. Do drop us an email about why PJ's cats are so so uh, stupid. Um, PJ, this has been an absolute pleasure. It really has. I I hope we get to the bottom of this cat situation. We never will. And and, and on that, on your poor cats, on that, on that beautiful moment, uh, PJ, would you like to do us the honours and sign us off I'm loving angels instead.